Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Today, we're joined by Y. Falami DeVoe, holistic health practitioner and founder of Holistic Alchemy in Atlanta, Georgia. Three years after Falami earned her master's in educational leadership from Antioch University Midwest, she suffered two mini strokes. She started on a self-care journey as a result of her health issues that continued and expanded. She had been juggling school, work, and family, and was beginning to understand the importance of balance and prioritizing herself. Falami is a body liberation and self-care coach, specializing in the self-care of women of color. She operates her business, Holistic Alchemy, from her hometown of Atlanta. Her work with clients involves individual sessions and group conversations. It incorporates her years of research in body positivity. She specializes in the healing and self-care of women of color, offering personal sound healing therapy sessions, body positive coaching, and workshops for women, holistic lifestyle coaching, and sound baths. This year, she'll earn her PhD from Antioch's Graduate School of Leadership and Change with a specialization in African-American women experiences of their bodies. She's also an Antioch affiliate faculty member. Falami, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I am doing well. It is a beautiful day, a chilly day here in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but it is uh, a good day to be alive. <laughs> I lived in Atlanta like a while back for like about a year, and like, and I always said, you know, yeah, I don't know what cold is about. You don't know what cold is about. Right. But, you know. <laughs> But I see, That's you know, true. you're a Midwest girl. You're originally from Youngstown, Ohio. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I so, am. And, I'm a proud. <laughs> mhm. Mhm. So, I mean, one of the things that that I noticed about you too, not only um, are you from Ohio, you chose to go to Antioch University, and yeah. I know about Antioch because I was involved with a a program that was about community building and youth and social justice. And every year, uh, early on, we would have a group of students come from Antioch who mm. it was part of their curriculum. And I thought, wow, this is just like such a cool school, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And they would talk about how it in- in- involved and engaged everything. What made you to choose to go to Antioch? Yes. You know, first of all, the, the wonderful rich history in social justice and act, in social justice activism was my draw to Antioch. Um, I started in Antioch uh, back in the late 90s um, as I uh, shifted my career and went into uh, education because before education, I was actually in radio. And uh, I then made a shift from radio into uh, education, teacher education. And 
did some research uh, in the area. I was living in Dayton at the time. And, you know, of course, there's University of Dayton there, Wright State University, and then there's Antioch, which is uh, there in Yellow Springs, Ohio. And in doing the research was just so taken really by the social justice um, activism, the history, the legacy of, you know, the likes of, we know, um, um, Coretta Scott King, you know, Mojuba, and um, she mm-hmm. went to Antioch College, and, but Antioch University has this also, the, particularly the um, teacher ed program had this cohort, this, this idea of we all move together, and it's about practitionership, and it's, the focus is on you bringing your um, experience, your knowledge, um, to the classroom and to your your courses, and so um, I was very um, attracted by the cohort model. I was attracted by the fact that, quite honestly, did not have to take a GRE, and so you were. Um, I was had to do an application, but the application consisted of you sharing writing samples, and that's of course my strength in writing and sharing your voice and so forth, and really getting a getting to know me as a person other than just a test score. So that, I mean, it was just a a myriad of reasons why I chose Antioch from my teacher education program till now as I'm completing my Ph.D. uh, with Antioch. And so it's been a wonderful journey um, of uh, just great relationships that I've built with um, the staff uh, there at Antioch. Hmm. As you know, I mean, and that was the thing that that's what thing that impressed me about the students who we had met that they came up and we were really involved in and and social justice movement, and mm-hmm. that was impressed upon them, you know. And they did everything with us, you know. They we planted community gardens, you know. We we marched in the community, and here were these these young people, and they had been different places. What in your who in your family? was that inspiration that, you know, because often when you hear people say, oh, I want to go into do things around community work, social justice work, mm. your family want to say, you need to go get you a real job, you know. <laughs> but who in your family was that inspiration? Mm. Yeah, I thank you. That's, I love that question. Um, the person that was an inspiration uh, for me was my mother. My mother, um, uh, who just passed last year, um, Mojiba to my mother, um, was uh, a, a higher education administration. She actually was, uh, we moved to Youngstown uh, from Arkansas, actually was born in Arkansas, and moved to Youngstown. And in her, being a, being a single mother, she was, you know, very much involved in my life um, and the life of the students at Youngstown State University, but she was very involved in the community work there and had several different board positions. And so she, I saw her going to, um, you know, board meetings um, from the Red Cross. She was involved with the Red Cross. She was involved with um, a um, nursing home there. She was, so she, I saw her doing the community work. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, she impressed upon me at an, at an early age, too, the importance of giving back to the community through volunteerism. And so when I was, 14, 
I remember just as distinctly um, right now wearing that candy striper uniform um, <laughs> at, mm-hmm. at the, um, and working at the hospital there in Youngstown. And I also worked as a volunteer at the um, Arms Museum, which is a historical museum in Youngstown. And so she taught me through watching her in her community work and in her community engagement how important it is of service and giving back the community. And then, of course, giving back also was done through um, church and the involvement in church, you know, through mission work and outreach and um, through even just joining, you know, having me to join organizations like Girl Scouts. So mm-hmm. that in itself. So I was, I was really steeped in this whole idea of giving back and continuing to, to give back and um, even through, um, you know, just giving blood is another act, act of, of service, mm-hmm. right? And so um, it was my mother. My mother was my inspiration and, and still is my inspiration um, as I've, you know, matriculated through this program. And, um, you know, again, like I said, she passed last year. And, and one of the things she said was to, you know, get finished with this degree. And, you know, I'm looking at being finished here in the next um, six months. So uh, she is my inspiration. The power of women, which seems to have, like, stayed with you and to have that, here's your mother, she's a single mother, she raised you, but she also not only said about just getting by, getting over, but giving back. Yeah. And how how important that is. So – was it how far away is Yellow Springs from Youngstown? Well, Yellow Springs in Youngstown, so Youngstown is northeast Ohio, and Yellow Springs is outside of Dayton. Um, mm-hmm. My mom uh, moved from Youngstown uh, when I went to um, school in Hampton, and she then um, secured the position as vice president for student services at Sinclair Community College, and she was the first African American woman. Um, to have that position, and so um, she then moved to Dayton, and so that's how I got to that Dayton area um, after living in Youngstown and then being familiar with um, the university systems there um, in the Dayton area. So, mm-hmm. but Young Yellow Springs is uh, about uh, four hours um, from, maybe a little bit more, uh, four and a half hours from Youngstown. Mm-hmm. When you when you were there. And even coming up and watching your mother, what did you think that you wanted to do with your life? Did you want to go into education or, you know, <laughs> was it just sort of much pretty did you, forming, you know, about seeing all these different things, the different parts of your life? I, <laughs> I had no intention in going into education. So hmm. um, as, as a little girl, I, I'm only child and love music and was brought up again in the church and, and participated in oratorical contests and, and speeches, you know, during the Christmas program, the Easter program. And one of the things that I was always told is that I could speak very well and um, I was always doing speeches. And so, and I was writing. So I was writing the family newsletter and creating these mm-hmm. radio shows, uh, you know, back in the day where you would have to put the tape recorder against the radio and <laughs> click it and mm-hmm. record yourself and, and so forth. So I had this fascination, I, and I love news. 
And so I really wanted to go into um, radio or television um, as a result of that. And so um, I actually went to Hampton and pursued a degree in mass media arts and uh, actually uh, had a radio uh, job after during mm-hmm. school uh, while I was at Hampton and uh, when I got out. And so I never had this idea of going into education. What I knew, I mean, my father was an educator, my mother, my aunt, and my uncle. So education is in the blood, uh, but never even considered that. And up until um, after I, you know, had I went into radio, and at the time I, I was a single mother, and um, you know, I was working six days a week in radio um, <laughs> and not making a lot of money, and I had this young child and. It was like, huh, maybe I should consider, and this was under the guise of my mother's suggestion, consider education where I can have the holidays and the summers and things like that off to raise my daughter, you know. And knowing that I had a knack with young people um, because I had taught vacation Bible school, Sunday school, and so forth, that it just came naturally. And so that's how I got into education, but it was not anywhere on my radar as I had hoped to actually land a job at the in, at uh, BET in the early stages when I was looking into mm-hmm. television, and so that is how I got um, into education. Are you? Do you ever find that that you're able to incorporate when you started to get into teaching? Did you incorporate some of those skills that you had as far as the being able to express yourself, wanting to be in front of the camera with young people, and how did that? How do you think that that impacted them? <laughs> I always uh, did some kind of um, activities. I was a English speech journalism uh, <laughs> speech communication teacher. And what I always stress in, in all of the classes, how important it is to be an effective verbal and written communicator. And with that, we I had them doing exercises where they had to understand how what you know how to enunciate and how to articulate and it's so funny that um I met a uh, uh one of my former students who is a an amazing young man who's doing wonderful work in the reproductive uh justice uh field and I met him uh, last month in California and we laughed and he, he was sharing how much that I was, you know, I was one of his favorite teachers. And because I talked about how important it is, he said, if it wouldn't have been for you talking to me about how to speak properly and to write properly, I wouldn't be able to be doing what I do now. As he is, you know, on MSNBC as a guest, you know, sometimes. And, and, and he talked about that and, and that made me feel really good because um, especially when I'm working with you know, young people of color, you know, black mm-hmm. and brown students and understanding how we have to position ourselves and how they have to position themselves to to go anywhere. And, that, and with anywhere, that means you should be able to speak in a way that your thoughts are clear, that it's understand, you know, understood and so forth. And so um, I would have them doing many newscasts as activities. I would have them do impromptu speeches, and he talked about his impromptu speech. He actually remembered it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> impromptu speeches, you know, and so that you're able to, to um, um, 
be that effective communicator. And then, you know, talking about words that should not be used, you know, because we talked about, you know, I would call, you know, we don't use the sheebie-weebies, I be doing this, we be doing this, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just so that you can be that effective um, communicator. So I did incorporate a lot. I, I was the, I started a newspaper, I was a yearbook um, advisor. Um, so those kinds of, those skills that I learned um, within my radio and television background, I incorporated those activities into the classroom uh, with with my students. Now, you know, it's funny, you know, because sometimes, you know, I was, I went to that, you know, and, and the ability to be not only to be able to speak up and to do that, and especially now. But does it sometimes when you notice how within everyday conversation, things like, you know, like we say like if we were in the hood or with our friends, that now mm-hmm. are becoming part of mainstream conversation, even to the point where you find other cultures co-opting them and they're mm-hmm. saying things and sometimes you go and you sort of look at them like, oh, what? Oh, you know? Right. You know, you know, it's like, no, you're not down with me like that, you know. Right, but, right. Uh, but but sometimes, you know, like, and I look at, at some of my friends and I'm going like, no, you didn't say that. <laughs> how, with young people, how, how do, do you ever wonder, worry that they'll get so much into this, you know, cool talk, you know, get away yes. from things that, that, that you have to learn, that, that ability to come in and speak clearly, because we know, mm-hmm. particularly in social justice, particularly yes. being women of color, when you get mm-hmm. in there, that sometimes using that, people will put you in a box mm-hmm. and not hear mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Not hear you, Absolutely. even though they're trying. Even though they're trying to use the same language because they're so cool, but it's still a way of talking, putting us in a box. Do you find right. that? Do you sometimes like sort of cringe and sort of like, what's the what point do you want to make to young people if they go like, oh, we don't want to talk like that, or as they say, you you talk white. I don't want to talk white. Like that <laughs> Right, right. And, and you know, and I do cringe. Uh, and I understand that there is I, – I, I, you being able to, meaning this, the, whomever, the young people, the young person, being able to um, articulate in all audiences, and this is what I, tr- I just say is so very important, and it's not giving up who you are. It's not giving up who you are. It's just – understanding that people who are on the outside, you're trying to get a message across. And, some, and unfortunately, some people don't understand it unless it's put in a way that they can understand and presented in a way that they understand. It does not negate or does not minimize your blackness. It is just a way to say, okay, this is what I have to do in order to make sure that I'm getting my message is getting received, you know, because it does not take away who you are. I'm, I am black, brown, African-American, whatever you want to say, 365 all day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> However, I know that in order there, is, we, we live in a society that, that judges, that, that looks at us, and it holds us to different standards. And so in order to get, what, is, what, is, what do you want to happen? You know, what's the message? 
what do you, if, if you want to make it clear, if you want to make it plain, if you want it to be understood, it is important that you just be mindful of the way in which you are articulating that message and, 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 and sending that message. But I do cringe. I, I really do. Um, <laughs> I do, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it was really gratifying to me when I talked to um, my former student and he just thanked me and talked about how much it had made a difference. And this young man um, is doing, like I said, wonderful work. He's, you know, just amazing, amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and coming from him, that means a lot, you know. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, you know, it is. I mean, and every now and then I'll talk to someone and they, and they get it. And they say, you know, like I was talking to a young fellow who, you know, he said he learned at an early age how to code switch. And depending on where yeah. he was, you know, and he said that that's something that he hoped that many of his peers would understand that, you know, sometimes you switch it up. And he, and he also keeps it on top of his game. And I thought that was just like I really enjoyed talking to him and going like, okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay. No. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Understanding mm-hmm. code switching. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, really. Yeah. Our, our next conversation. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We can go. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's, hey, you know what? Maybe down there in Atlanta next year we'll have a whole thing on code switching, you know. Oh, yeah. we could do that. Oh, we could do that for sure. I am so down for that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to take our first break here. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more. Mm-hmm. All right. About, yeah, about your journey. Okay, we'll be right okay. back. Me. Okay. Well, we're back here on Collections by Michelle Brown, and I am rejoining my guest, Salami DeVoe. Um, you are just amazing. But I'm, in oh, reading about you, yeah, I, I, you know, I found that it was interesting that I, was, I listened to you, and it's like, you know, positive role models. You felt really good about yourself. You wanted to be in that. But you talk about how you had some type of body disfact dissatisfaction since mm-hmm. you were 12. Mm-hmm. And, you know, often when I look at at little girls, you know, how important it is. I had that too, you know, that mm-hmm. somehow, you know, by whatever the standards were, something wasn't right with me, you know. Right. I, I, was, I was looking at a picture and I'm sitting there with um, my sister and um, we had nicknames. She was Princess and I was Midget. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's what it says in our You know, it's like, wow. okay. <laughs> and so I know that, that it's there and often we don't talk about it. And our family members don't, may not recognize how they're saying and it makes us look at ourselves mm-hmm. and have that level of dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, what was your midget moment? <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. There are so many midget moments. Quite honestly. So, you know, it was um, – 
come into this this as a little girl. First of all, um, moving from the south to the north was a traumatic experience for me, and it was a, a traumatic experience for me because I was much darker than what the kids in my neighborhood uh, were accustomed to seeing and the kids that in my school were accustomed to seeing. So I was teased um, about my color, my skin complexion, you know. And it was not from the white people. Mm. And it was, it was from the black kids. And that was hard. And then I was, I was um, not what, for me, I, looking back on it, I was not a larger-bodied child, but I was still, you know, felt that I was large-bodied, you know, because mm-hmm. of my family was very much about, and then I write about this in my dissertation, um, I started wearing a girl literally at mm-hmm. nine years old. And, um, you know, this notion of hold your stomach in, you know, of course, put your, your shoulders back. And then that's a whole other conversation about femininity and, 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 and mm-hmm. this, this how we socialize, right? And so, um, so then, <clears throat> you know, I, I, you shouldn't eat so much, you know. Don't eat so much. You know, girls, women should not go back for seconds. Right, so this whole idea of of just <laughs> um, minimizing um, what you eat, right? Um, and so these, you know, you, I, I have these these fat cheeks, so that you know people would like to pinch my cheeks. All mm-hmm. these little fat chubby cheeks, <laughs> right? Oh, uh-huh. and then I have this one dimple. Oh, look at that! You know that dimple and them, you know, fat mm-hmm. chubby cheeks. Um, and so this this whole these these are these are comments that I've heard, you know. Um, so I, I and I guess I'm I'm, I'm kind of lost your question, but I'm just kind of giving you no, this you're fine. Uh-huh, um, no. <laughs> um, this how this this whole evolution of this body dissatisfaction, you know. So moving from Arkansas to Ohio, and and then and which I know had a very impact, and this is what. Um, I, I referenced just a little bit in, in my dissertation, but talking about, you know, the neighborhoods that I grew in was a, um, a mixed neighborhood, you know, Italian, Jewish, Polish, Irish, not as a lot of uh, uh, black folks and brown folks, and went to school, Catholic schools, and that made a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That made a difference in the way in which I perceive myself, my beauty, my worth, because I'm then looking at uh, girls who are thin, girls who are long hair, blonde, you know, lighter complected, you know. So I and I couldn't did not fit that mold of of those girls that were in my school. Um, so just you know, it was just a. Um, challenging time um, for me because I did a lot of comparison, you know, and then mm-hmm. I would have, you know, at home this um, this notion of don't eat too much, don't overeat, um, don't want to get fat, you know, and then, and I, and I honestly remember, and this is something that 
uh, is important to think about when you're thinking about, like, where does your body story come from? Where, are these, where do you have this, um, get this perception of your body? You know, I remember my mom, you know, doing the cabbage soup diet. You know, and my mom, mm. and I look back mm-hmm. on my picture, <laughs> my mom was not a large body person, you know, and, and, and so, and then again, I, not for saying that large body people should go on diet, diets or anything of that nature, but I'm just saying that she's not what one would might deem the person to go on a diet like that, right? So, um, so needless to say, you know, I remember this, you know, vaguely remember the cabbage soup diet. You know, my, my aunt was doing Nutrisystem when it first came out. Um, mm. was that, or Optifast or something, whatever, one of those kinds of diets. So, so that, you know, when you're seeing this as a little girl and then hearing these messages of, oh, you know, hold your stomach in, don't, you know, you don't want your stomach to get fat, you know, all of that, mm-hmm. all of that plays into dissatisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, and, it, and it's so, I mean, there's so many things that you touched on, you know, I'm going like, yeah, you know, check, 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 I understand. Girl, I'll tell you, I've got you. My mother at one point in time threw up her hands and sent me to charm school. <laughs> oh, wow, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, because it was just like, you know, so that I could learn how to be more of a girl. And the thing girl, that, that, yeah. that, you know, as, mm, as much mm. as, as we see and we've come, you recognize that we still have, particularly as black women, have issues about our bodies. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We do. And, and, and that is what my, my, um, and so I keep referencing my research because clearly it's right here on my in my mm-hmm. in front of my brain right now. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, when I was doing a lot of the reading and and just scouring the literature and finding that there were many um, scholars that were saying, "Oh, black women don't have issues with their body; they they don't." And I'm like, "What?" It, I, I, <laughs> who, who, who are you interviewing? Like, you know. And so then I had to think like. What what kinds of uh, first of all, what was your measurement of how they uh, view their bodies? Um, did you really, you know, what kind of who are these women? What's their background? You know, so I was really just breaking it down because there are, I mean, many of us struggle with our bodies, even though we say some might say, no, I don't have any problems. Okay, so my question is, why are you dieting? Okay, mm-hmm. now it could be medical reasons. I, and that's a whole other conversation, Michelle. We have about four more conversations we can have because uh, <laughs> because the medical the medical industry there is fat bias within the medical industry, mm-hmm. and there mm-hmm. uh, and we can talk about how um, the medical industry bamboozles folks into believing that this weight health is always necessary. Um, the weight is um, attributed to their health conditions. Okay, but we can talk about mm-hmm. that later. So mm-hmm. um, um, I forgot where I was going because I get excited. But just saying, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, go ahead. Finish. So um, just just thinking about um, the ways in which we do struggle with our bodies and how does that look. 
does it look and I'm and I'm not necessarily just talking about our shape and size because our body image as as women as African American women, women of color, black women, it, it is made up of our shape, size, our hair, complexion mm-hmm. and texture, and um, our complexion. And so what about the women that are who feel the need when they go to a interview? Oh, girl, I have to get my hair right for this interview. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Okay, the hair right is I need to go get it straightened because the, normally they're wearing maybe a natural look or something like that. And I just heard this two weeks ago. Yeah, I got to get my hair right for this interview. So this whole perception of if I do not to, to alter my look, then I'm not going to get accepted. You know, so it, it's, it's a lot. It is a lot. And um, so I'm challenging this notion of, uh, one, you know, where are these voices that are talking about their lived experiences of their bodies, you know, mm-hmm. at the intersection of race, class, sexual orientation, you know, because that is where this whole, interse- you know, talking about intersectionality is big too now. And so mm-hmm. what are our lived experiences of our bodies? Okay. So then you're doing all the, the, the scholarly research, and then Lizzo comes up. And then you go like, ah. <laughs> Right. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I'll yes. tell you, you know, I was, I, okay, she did a really great interview on fresh air, which really goes mm-hmm. deep, into, deep into it. So usually, you know, like I, I think I was in Niagara Falls, and I said, okay, well, we're going to have this Lizzo conversation, but first you must listen to this, and then so we can have a conversation about mm-hmm. something more than just the visual part. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, as far as, like, body positivity and doing that, I mean, it's like, did that, what did that do to your research? Did you go, like, wow, yes, or, like, wow, let me think about it? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in terms of, are you asking in terms of how do I approach Lizzo's quote-unquote body positivity within my research? Is that what your question is? Yeah. Okay. Or did it, do, did it, or did it, or did it impact it at all? Or did, did you find it as confirmation to some of the things you're saying? Or where you said, okay, now I have to think about this? Well, I, what I said was, you know, and, and again, this is just within the initial um, my initial research and my initial writing is that I said that Lizzo shows us what shows black women, gives black women a sense of agency, right? She, she is mm-hmm. taking this ownership and she is driving home what she wants to show as I'm fat, I'm okay with it, you all deal with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And so this is that that sense of agency. And so, and sometimes, as we know in movement, it takes that one person or that two per- people to start the movement, to start the conversation, to start the thinking differently. And then 10, 15 years from now, it looks totally different, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so with Lizzo, she has, and, 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 and not just Lizzo, there's Sonia Renee Taylor who wrote the book My Body um, is, is Not an Apology. 
Uh, mm-hmm. She comes from a place of this radical self-love and, 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 and um, embracing your blackness. And um, there's other that have come out. And so it's this, this, this movement of opening the door and exposing. I'm, I'm going to be, again, as this, this scholar in this work, I'm going to be interested to see, to see and to track how this movement, the sustainability of this, and the impact of these um, pop culture um, folks in the next, say, five years. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What's the converse, what will the conversation look like then? But again, she is, she is showing her agency, you know, with, with, with her body. And, and for, for many, as we know, they're like, yes, this is what I need. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to say about that right now. Uh-huh. Well, you know, another person who, who, who's written a book who's getting a lot, I mean, she's all over the place, Adrienne Marie Brown, whose book is about pleasure yes. activism. Pleasure and, you activism. Know, and, I just started reading that. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, and actually, you know, show how it is. Adrienne was involved with Detroit Summer, which is where I first came in, in contact with, with uh, Antioch University. And Adrienne is, like, just phenomenal, and to sort of sit and talk with her. And she talks about, you know, about part of it does have to do with, you know, your body and being in your space and doing it. It's a great book. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. Yeah. another conversation. Yes. <laughs> right. You know, I, just, I just started reading it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's another conversation, you know, that, that you're going to, you're going to, will have. You know, one of yes. the other things that, that, that you wonder, too, like, you know, and we're going to go into, into health in a minute. But one of the other things that, that I thought about as I read, and actually I wrote a poem that started out, you know, I wanted, I did, I, at first I was one way about it. And then it was like all about being natural. But then I, it's like people embracing themselves. But then I was mm-hmm. reading. And most African-American women who have weaves, the hair comes from Cambodia, and mm. unlike people in other countries, many of these women are selling their hair because they're in poverty. And, I mean, mm-hmm. there was like this, 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 this conversation or, or this, this thing, this thing, here are women in poverty and women who are often also in poverty who are purchasing mm. the thing mm. from that and to... So they can get that job, you know, they can get that mm-hmm. hair right. And it's mm-hmm. like how we are contributing to this cycle of poverty and not empowering women altogether, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's not to mm-hmm. say, you know, like if, if I don't have a problem, if, if you're getting, you should be able to say, today I'm going to weave my hair just because I just want to look like Diana Brown, you know. You know, and, and not do it, but there's that bigger conversation that somehow or other we don't see as part of a female diaspora and what we're doing mm-hmm. and how maybe we're keeping one another down and how do we do something to, to lift each other up and not, it's still the oppressor that's saying to us, you know, you got to yes. get your hair right for this job. It's the mm-hmm. oppressor that's, saying, mm-hmm. that, that's keeping the women in Cambodia in poverty, you know, so exactly. it's like, to get to that point, do you see one day, like, would you like to be able to one day to have that kind of, teach that kind of class? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I would love that opportunity. And I, when I started my, my journey through trying to figure out what my research was going to be about, because ironically I started thinking I was in, uh, did some uh, work in food justice and food insecurity. And mm. so when I started the PhD program, I was looking into that and then did some reflection and, and changed gears. But um, what I, because I, you know, when I started the, the, this research into this body image world, it was the term body positivity, you know, body positivity, body positivity. And, you know, that didn't resonate with me. And it didn't resonate with me because, for me, it was very um, just um, surface. And so when I started um, thinking about, okay, what is needed, what's missing here, it was, the, it was liberation. And mm-hmm. so I began to talk about, and to interject the word, it needs to be body liberation. And so my, my role as a body liberation coach is to have these deeper liberating conversations that, are more, that I believe will be more sustainable in carrying women through this understanding of, okay, why are you doing this? And then not only understanding why, but breaking down, let's talk about the oppressor and talk about the, the impact of where some of this ideology comes from, and then, okay, now that you understand this, does that make a difference? Does that change things for you? You know, because I understand some people might not be open to change. And so mm-hmm. um, I am open to having workshops, doing workshops with women, having deeper conversations, and breaking down these, these ideologies, not from a place of judgment, no, not from a place of judgment, but a place for allowing us to have space and conversation to, to just to talk and to, to challenge our thoughts and our beliefs um, to understand, um, you know, what, where we are in terms of um, this whole notion of women and beauty and femininity mm-hmm. and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, it's conversations that we need to have for this next generation, you know, yes. because, I mean, when you stop and you look at it, you know, I was talking to someone about, you know, this is my only political, we're talking about elections, and mm. um, we were talking about how women voted, and, mm. you know, I was telling one of my my non-black sisters that you know mm-hmm. they needed to get their tribe together. You know, hello, because <laughs> you know because I mean because the, the statistics that they were showing, like you know, um, the percentage of white women who were supporters of his administration, the percentage of um, Hispanic women who were, and often it was on one one topic, and they were saying things like, well, you know. We've been raised that our husband says and we go we don't want to rock the boat and I'm going to, and they said, But we can mm. support you because you know, black women have, have always I said, Yeah, we've always had to do it and you need to get your tribe together. Because mm-hmm. is this what you want for your daughters and for your granddaughters right. to live like that? Right. And they were like, right. you know and it was sort of like, Yeah, I can go and talk to to a group, have talked to large groups of non-black women, 
Mm-hmm. But those mm-hmm. one-on-one conversations that women need to have with women, particularly women of their same socioeconomic and racial class, are so right. important to changing this if we don't want to continue to perpetuate where we're at. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I so agree. <laughs> I so you know, agree. it's like, you know, it's like, uh, you know, so I said, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> get your tribe together. <laughs> get, it, get it together. Right. Yeah, really, you know, uh, so, which was another thing. I said, yeah, I know you love me and I love you, but this is what I need you to do. You know? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's be okay with that and, and do that. Thank you. <laughs> you know, really, you know, it's okay, you know, uh, you know. Michelle will open the door, and then you go in and talk to your people. <laughs> right. You right. know, <laughs> you know, really, you know, uh, I'll be your ally. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. Well, well, we're going to take another break because then I want to really get into health. And um, okay. we'll be right back, okay? All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're back here with my guest, Salami DeVoe. You know, um, I was surprised that you had two strokes, although I wasn't surprised. I mean, I have a very dear good friend who um, actually started Lupus Detroit. And, in fact, after I had met her, before she was 30, she had had two strokes. So it happens, Mm. you know, although we tend to want to think of strokes and all of these things happen later on down the line. Right. We also <laughs> tend to like you like you were talking about before, we go to these doctors who who will immediately wanna say, um, tell you what weight you're supposed to be without looking at you. You know, mm-hmm. without looking mm-hmm. at you. Or, you know, who take provide a lot of, of pills and medications and often we take them because we we do. We, the doctor said, I had an aunt who I took care of who was 94, and at one point I took her to a new doctor and said, why is she taking all of this stuff? And they backed it all off, you know, um, <laughs> you, know I, you know, and taking control of our health and what we need to be doing for and to looking at things, you know, it's so important because, you know, I often tell people, I, I went to the doctor the other day, and without even knowing me, it was like the prescription pad was out. Well, you know, you should try this. Mm. Why? Oh, you know? God. And, it, oh. and it's like how, you know, and it was like, <sighs> you know, I you know. I said, you know, you're in the pocket of the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and I know they think I'm the angry black woman, you know. Uh, you yeah. know I'm, I'm yeah. that angry black woman. I said, you know, well, we're going to try this, that, and the other, and I've done some research, but you should research the disease. I don't have the disease, you know. I mean, wow. so, you know, and, wow. and I've done that. You know, I've had a male doctor tell me, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you know how long I went to school? You know, to, to learn oh, this. Oh, God. You know, and I'm going oh, like, God. really? You know? Really? So, <laughs> so that's why when I saw mm-hmm. you and you had your table at the Art mm-hmm. Exchange there in Atlanta, I was just Yay. like, yes, <laughs> you know, somebody who, who, who's talking about looking at something other than, you know, whatever the doctor says and how to live better and to take care of yourself. Yes, yes, yes. How did you go? Now, I can imagine (laughs) that, you know, 
weren't you, I mean, after having, I mean, you could go two ways. After you had two strokes, I can imagine you being, like, very afraid and wanting to go and do whatever they say or being bold and taking the step. What took you down this path? Wow, yeah. So, you know, first of all, I'm not a quote-unquote classic stroke um, uh, case. So I had a TIA, which is a transient ischemic attack, which is also mm-hmm. called a mini stroke. And um, it happened, I had a headache, um, I was dizzy, and my face, my right side of my face began to droop and went to the urgent care, and they said it was Bell's palsy. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I had a friend uh, who was a nurse, and she said, go to the emergency room. And this is where, you know, this whole um, you just got to take take the lead sometimes. People take the lead, and you just don't know where. It's like, yes, follow. Okay, I'm going to go. So anyway, um, uh, had I was had this TIA, and it was because I had a hole in our heart. We're all born with holes in our heart. Mine just never closed, and a clot traveled from one side of my heart to the other side. And so um, that is the reason why. I had the stroke. So it wasn't like high blood pressure or anything. I was 37 years old, you know, so it wasn't the classic um, stroke, you know, case. And um, so then as talking about my health journey, you know, I, you know, had to go start seeing a cardiologist. And one of the things that, you know, they talk about because I also had arrhythmia, um, and uh, sinus tachycardia, and, you know, they, of course, want to prescribe medicine and so forth. I had to be on Coumadin, a blood thinner, and I had to take medicine to, um, to, for the rhythm of my heart, you know, to keep, to keep that monitor. And, um, and it talked about, you know, what do you do for, you know, pleasure, you know. And I'm like, well, I, I have, I'm, at the time I was raising five children, married, and, you know, going, actually doing my um, – finished my master's, and so it was a lot going on. And um, they said, well, you need to get a hobby. <laughs> I said, well, I love <laughs> to dance. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love to dance. And so I started taking, um, and I loved, uh, and I got into scrapbooking. And I um, started taking Zumba, and I loved Zumba. I loved it so much that, of course, I started teaching it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I became a Zumba instructor. And, you know, and finding my, what, I, what we now know, we call it self-care, um, my self-care regimen. You know, I picked up meditating, and I would literally lock myself in the bathroom, you know, because, again, I had five children, and, and, um, <laughs> and mm-hmm. would go in there and meditate. So I was doing little things, just kind of walking through this, this you know, what self-care looks like. And um, then I started to do more in terms of uh, more holistic um, uh, things, you know. So I started incorporating um, acupuncture, and I looked at Reiki. I started doing that. And then I happened to um, uh, meet this young lady who introduced me. We talked, and she said, you know, you'll be a wonderful life coach and or a holistic coach. And I wasn't, didn't know anything about that and started doing some research and ended up um, um, getting my holistic health certification. And within my holistic health certification, it just opened the doors to just so much uh, different ways, alternative ways of healing 
the body and healing the self and understanding the impact that food plays, the impact of um, what we call secondary foods, which is relationships, your emotions, your jobs, your, mm-hmm. how that impacts your health. So having a deeper understanding of health and well-being and then looking at complementary therapies like Reiki, like um, acupuncture, like uh, sound healing and, and such that help to support a positive well-being. And so I then um, uh, somehow was connected to a woman who has a, um, a meditation and meditation studio, and she offers training, Reiki, and sound healing. So I decided to get my sound healing. So I wanted to add to that because I uh, opened up my um, – my wellness coaching practice, and I wanted to add to that and add not only for others but for myself. So mm-hmm. I am a, um, a sound healer in addition to being a body liberation coach, and I do sound healing. So um, I use crystals, uh, I use uh, tuning forks and sound bowls to promote optimal health and well-being and balancing of the chakras. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's a, an abbreviated uh, mm-hmm. self-care journey. <laughs> well, you know, and I think that, too, that we often don't recognize some of the things that cause us physical trauma or, or make mm-hmm. us unwell. I mean, I talked to a young um, African-American woman who took a job way out in the suburbs and said that she was the only one, and she recognized, like, she was, like, the super major minority, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she was black. There weren't that many women. The women who were there were related except for her because she was the only black person. I mean, there were a lot of men. And so after a certain point, she recognized, like, you know what, I need to take time off because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even the silence that she would walk into which she knew was may or may not have been conversations of her, but there was this silence, and that it affected her because somewhere she was having, like she was saying, she was having breakouts. She, you know, she was having all these things happen, and she recognized that these things affect your health and how to look mm-hmm. at it. And she went to, I mean, I know she ended up, um, she had some Reiki sessions. She did um, meditation and things like that to find that balance. And often... Mm-hmm. People don't recognize, you know, it's more than just the, the our environment is huge and the things that yeah. impact you, particularly as people of color. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. So when you, when you start talking with women, you know, what has, has come up that you have recognized that then you're able to help them that you know that women of color particularly we don't recognize, that we just sort of keep trying to get in there. You know, they say, oh, we're strong. We're so strong. But that's <laughs> killing us, you know. Right. And that is where I, I start from this place of self-care is not selfish. <laughs> and that comes mm-hmm. from our beloved um, Audrey Lord. And, and talking about it is, it, how important this, this notion that many of us who grew up and it goes back to the, how we were socialized. We were socialized, many of us were socialized as women to become the optimal wives and mothers. And with that being said, that means you've got to stay busy, keep busy, do everything for everybody but yourself. And, and then 
hold on a pedestal that I'm so busy that I can't do anything for myself. So it's really deconstructing this knowledge and this notion of we got to continue on in this, in this fashion, and it's not. And so I've had and I, I lead, I've led sister circles with women where I have this conversation to pull out your calendar. Where are you on this calendar? Because I'm, 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 I'm the calendar woman here. And so mm-hmm. what does that look like? Where, you have so-and-so's piano lesson. You have so-and-so's football practice. You have your husband's this, your partner's this. What, where are you in this? And sometimes it just takes that, oh. So then I say, okay, now that you see that you're not in that, and even if you're in that, how much time are you allowing? If it's, you know, 30 minutes, I got to go get my nails done or whatever done in 30 minutes because I then have to go rush to pick up somebody else. So, again, planning time. And I have it. I pull out my calendar. Now, even if it is not something that you get to, but every Monday on my calendar it says craft time. So if it, I, it is still on there. It's intentional. Mm-hmm. So how are we being intentional about our self-care? Right? So that is mm-hmm. important in this conversation. Not only is to deconstruct this notion of I'm the strong woman, I'm this, you know, and so forth. Let's, let's, let's back away from that and talk about being strong is also realizing that I need time for rest. I need time to recalibrate. I need time to just be. And that's okay. And so, and then you have to, not have to, but I advise that if to, to think, have to train the folks within your circle, right? If you need your 20 minutes after you get off work or whatever that is, mm-hmm. begin to have that conversation because that is a part, that, a part of that self-care. And so there's this uh, assistant here, and many people are familiar with her, um, who has started this NAP ministry. And uh, I, can't, I can't think of her name right now, but, you know, her notion is, you know, rest is resistance. And she has garnered a lot of attention because, and I want to meet her, I'm putting it out there in the atmosphere now, that we're going to do some work together because this is all for the health and well-being of, of women. I mean, and, I mean, I think she does work also with, with others, but, Again, just napping and, you know, taking away the notion. And I'm, a, I'm an A-type, you know, and I grew up again. You've got to stay busy, keep your calendar busy and so forth. But then this is a way in which we, we challenge the notion of we have to be strong. You've got to rest. You've got to mm-hmm. rest. You've got to do self-care. And, again, and, and I want to say this, and I'll stop, for me what I, I stress about self-care is not necessarily going out and purchasing something, i.e. a vacation or a spa package or something like that. What is it, what do you do to nourish and nurture your soul and your spirit? And how do you do that on a frequent basis? And so that's, and that's where I talk about this, this self-care. And if it's going to get that massage, wonderful. What else? Could it be just sitting down and coloring? Could it be, mm. for me, could it be just, you know, I'm going to create a card for somebody and send it and give to somebody else, right? So that's a part of self-care. Being in the presence of elders maybe giving 
you know, so thinking mm-hmm. creatively about self-care because, because quite honestly, Michelle, self-care has been co-opted, right? Everybody mm-hmm. wants to get on the bag and have self-care, right? I mm-hmm. want to talk and want to have this conversation about sustainable self-care and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. How important is it to have a sister circle? Oh, wow. <laughs> it is very important, particularly with black women. Um, I, um, it, is, it is very important because we thrive in community. And thriving community, if it's just to listen and to hear and to, or just, just listen and hear, Right, well, same thing. Listen and to also to, to share your experiences because it might just be one little nugget that someone says maybe in the last 15 minutes of the session of this sister circle that takes you to another place. And so um, last year I uh, ran a winter solstice uh, sister circle, and that lasted from December to March, and it was I had, a, I had a woman from, from Michigan. I had a woman from Ohio. I had a woman from Georgia. I had a woman from it was a It was a virtual experience, and I'll be doing this again, um, where we got together and we talked about self-care. We did self-care. I offered a, a sound um, healing session to women. We talked about different, you know, uh, readings that, you know, dealt with self-care. But having that conversation, just taking time to sit with other women, you know, um, either virtually or in person is so very important. It's so very important. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, I love it. I mean, mean, and, you know, I like you're talking about labor and, you know, as you read pleasure activism, I could see you and Adrienne Marie Brown sitting down and having like just like so much to talk about, you know, because it's yes. just like, you know, I mean, I mean, cause, cause that's one of the things that, that she talked about too, is like, you know, and, and how at some point not having to do all of that, all this, that, and the other about having that pleasure. And if you didn't yes. have the pleasure, you know, you're so caught up in doing all this. That's why many people end up being burned out, you know, because right. they, they lose, they lose that. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I'm hoping you can make make that contact, that connect with us, <laughs> so we well, can girl, we can get this going. Look, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know what? Well, yes. I will right now. She's doing. You know, she said she's been working on how she said I'm going to step away for a minute. And you know what? Yeah. And and that's sometimes to be able to do that and that part to to recognize it and to give yourself permission. You know, because often mm-hmm. like, oh, I just need to ask you one more thing. Because sometimes, so to say. You know, no, I'm stepping away. I'll be back. You'll be fine. Right. You know? <laughs> and it doesn't mean that you're abandoning people, but sometimes that that you have to do that for you. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what? When you do it for you, you're better for them. That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we get to a place where we're not having to explain so much. And, and again, that's – teaching people how you operate. You know, I shouldn't have to explain that I'm lying down on this couch for this amount of time, you know. Mm-hmm. But understanding, you know, when you're talking about family dynamics, making sure that your family understands the importance of resting, rejuvenation, and then doing as well, you know. And so mm-hmm. um, just 
having those kinds of conversations with family members so it's not so much as explaining. And, and, again, and again, I'm taking from, I, this is from a place of where I used to be, you know, where I used mm-hmm. to explain why I'm lying that, like, okay, I'm going to get up in 30 minutes and, you know, get to going. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I love the name of your business. is Holistic Alchemy. How did you choose that name? And, you know, when you think of alchemy, I think the first thing, what was it? They were trying to change something to gold or whatever. <laughs> so, I, you know, I mean, it's sort of, sort of magical, you know. It's special. Yes. So how did you come up with that name? Well, <laughs> you know, it was, it's interesting um, that you, you asked that because um, I, I had a, a former a name for my business when I first started my coaching practice. And, um, again, when you talk about evolving, when you really realize you evolve into the person that who you are, it just kind of came. I was having a conversation with the lady that um, I um, received my sound healing certification from, and we were just talking, brainstorming ideas, and this whole notion of transformation, and I'm believing in this holistic concept, you know, of nurturing one's mind, body, and spirit. So it was kind of like just like morphed into, and then I'm a, I'm a wordsmith. I love words. And so, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like holistic. And then I'm thinking about transformation and change and what words represent that. Oh, alchemy. Oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. So it was kind mm-hmm. of like this, ah. And then it just made so much sense within this, because it has been quite magical for me in this transformation into this holistic way of life, you know, in terms of, looking at alternative modalities such as using sound healing, using acupuncture, um, working with crystals and talking about, it was magical for me with a transformation because, you know, coming from, quite honestly, and, and no shade on, you know, those of us who were raised, you know, Baptist, conservative, you know, <laughs> that wasn't in the, in the repertoire of understanding how, you know, healing and, and, and well-being went, right? I didn't understand. I didn't know uh-huh. anything about crystals and, and all of that growing up, not even in, in college, you know. So um, it was, like, quite magical for me, you know, that I got to this place of understanding who I am as a healer and understanding my journey to this, this healer. And it, it has been quite magical. So, yeah, that's how holistic alchemy came about. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're coming um, close to the end of our time here together. Um, I love the idea of a calendar. And you know what? And I'm going to be more intentional about doing it because I'll be good at it at a certain time. I'm going to put this in and then suddenly life will get <laughs> going. And, and, I, and I am quick to delete the time I've set aside for Michelle. Mm-hmm. I think that that mm-hmm. is some, that's a really easy thing of a of good first step. What other mm-hmm. things, you know, other than, you know, and I hope that anyone in the Atlanta area, but anybody can reach out to you and, and sort of get some tips or, or help start a sister circle or whatever. But besides that calendar, making that time for yourself, for self-care, what are other things that you would say that if someone, because, you know, first of the year, everybody is trying to, to come up with, oh, not New Year's resolutions, which usually by the 5th they've quit doing. But right. things to, mm-hmm. to put in their consciousness as we go into this new year, what are some things that, that people need to, to just 
mull over? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful question. Um, one of the things that I believe is important, going back to who we are as uh, black women, is having an accountability partner, if you will. Having that sister that you can call and say, look, can we just go together, whatever that is, because sometimes you need that nudge, you need that reminder of what, who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Like, you know, girl, did you do what you said you were going to do on the calendar? <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. having an accountability partner, someone to, to encourage you and to remind you to take time for self, that's so important um, in this process. And that's why these sisters, you know, sister circles are really good because you can tap into that, uh, to that network um, to talk to that sister. But going into the new year, I like to talk about intentions. You know, what are we are? I mean, there's all these vision board workshops. I've done vision boards, can, and I'm and I review my vision boards. But intent, you know, starting the year with intentions, and what I like to talk about is what is the what are the feelings that you want to have next year? Okay, because when you talk about it can become quite easy in having the conversation about this is what I want to get done. This is what I want to have, you know, to see. But let's talk about going into 22. What do you want to feel? I want to feel joy. I want to feel peace. And then as you focus on those feelings, those activities, or whatever that is, to get to that feeling will manifest. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so I want to talk this year about what are the feelings I want to have. And I'm going to make sure that I, you know, I want to feel nourished next year or nurtured. So what does that look like? And so that's something um, that I want to, to, um, to put out there and talking about those and being very intentional about what it is that you want. Um, so vision boards are great. I then challenge, what do you, how often are you looking at the vision board? Where is the vision mm-hmm. board? <laughs> you know, if the mm-hmm. vision board is somewhere that you don't look every day, and, and not just look, meditate and reflect. You know, meditate and, and reflect. Um, so those are the things that, um, that, that I, I, I recommend in addition to setting a calendar, having an accountability partner, um, making sure that you have some intentions, um, giving yourself grace, <laughs> giving yourself grace. And this is something that some, some of us might challenge, have challenges with, you know. Give yourself grace going into this next year. Kindness and compassion toward self going mm-hmm. to next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. That's that is, um, and I—that's not even what you asked, but it's just something I needed to share. No, but um, but that's you... perfect. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's something that yeah. we often don't do. You see, people are so kind and compassionate to everyone else, yeah, and don't cut themselves yes. a minute slack. You know? No, so. absolutely mm-hmm. not. I should have done. I should have. I should have. I should have. Stop should. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Stop. Mm-hmm. Stop should. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. Right, and and just be, and just mm-hmm. exist where you are, 
Exist where you are and where you're trying to go. And then reminding yourself of the feelings that you want to attain next year. And, and how do you get those feelings? Like, you know, if it's joy, if, this, if something is not serving that joy, you don't need it. You know, you don't need it. So when you're thinking about what you need to do in terms of self-care, keep that in mind. Is this serving me, right, in the best way for me to be my best self? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so many things that we started talking about that there just wasn't enough time that, you know, we're going to talk more about. Um, yeah. We might have a, 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 a sister circle of talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This I would love this. I mean, again, we could go on and on, and mm-hmm. I would love that. Um, I would love that, mm-hmm. and look forward to to seeing you when you come here uh, to Atlanta. Okay. Um, what is the best way if someone wanted to to learn more about um, your business and you? Yes. What's the best yes. way to 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 find you? So I am on uh, Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Holistic uh-huh. Alchemy, uh, and that's A L C H E M Y, Holistic Alchemy 8. And uh-huh. I also have a website, holisticalchemy8.com. And uh-huh. I am, uh, again, available for um, women's talks, retreats, sister circles, and conversations. And um, most definitely, um, that, those are ways in which you can connect with me um, uh-huh. as well, so through my social media. Thank you. So we, Thank we, you. we will stay connected. Okay? Okay. All right. Take care and bless all right. to you. I want to thank my guest, wife, Alami DeVoe. She's a holistic health practitioner and founder of Holistic Alchemy in Atlanta, Georgia. A body liberation and self-care coach specializing in the self-care of women of color Her work with clients involves individual sessions and group conversations, incorporating her years of research and body positivity. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.